The following broadcast is brought to you by the Congregation of People's Baptist Church of Folkestone, Georgia. You can find this broadcast on our website, www.pbcfolkestone.com. Once again, good morning. This is Nathan Irie, pastor of People's Baptist Church in Folkestone, Georgia. I want to preach to you this morning from Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22. The Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Now, I want to try to bring you a message this morning called The God You Don't Know. The God You Don't Know. And the reason I call that, I title that message this way is because it seems to be that the modern concept of God, even in Christian circles, which is really a strange thing to me, but the modern concept of God is really more along the lines of an agnostic line of thinking. In other words, people believe that there's a God somewhere, but, quote, I'm not really sure who he is, and you can't really know him. And nobody would really come out and say that. If you went to churches, you would, nobody would really come out and say that verbatim. But that mentality certainly is there, and I know that mentality is there. I, I know that it's true because as soon as you insinuate that you know who God is, as soon as you insinuate that you know or want to speak authoritatively about the God that there truly is, there's only one God, the Bible says, uh, people begin to get very, very uncomfortable. It, it's really a strange thing. People don't have a problem with politicians talking authoritatively about political issues, and yet people have a problem with preachers speaking authoritatively about religious issues. That's very strange to me. And I guess that part of the reason for that is because preachers have for so long, for so many decades, been apologizing for everything that they say that's disagreeable to the masses. And so now people have just gotten the idea that when a preacher says something and we don't like it, we can put enough pressure on him and he'll just apologize. Well, those aren't really preachers. Those are sissies. But see, there is a God and God can be known. And the, the place that we go to to find out who God is, is the Holy Bible. It's the scriptures. And I know that a lot of preachers have been talked out of what the scriptures are. They've been uh, talked into believing that the highest authority that there is is their own opinion, but that's not true neither. Uh, the, the highest authority that there is is the Bible. It's the Word of God, the, the AV 1611, by the way. It's the King James Version. So anyways, those are all side issues for the message this morning, but they're true nonetheless. And so because we have a final authority, we can speak authoritatively about who God is. We don't have to ask. We don't have to get permission from the government or permission from our favorite church or permission from our favorite Bible institute or school. A lot of fellows have handed in their confidence in the Word of God for confidence in a particular school or, or confidence in a particular association. But I just have to tell you this morning, if the association, whatever association you're part of, goes against the word of God, the association is wrong. 
And if your particular Bible school goes against what the Bible says, then that particular school is wrong. The Bible is the final authority. God uh, thought enough of it to give us his revealed will written down, and that same God is strong enough, wise enough, powerful enough to ensure that it's preserved throughout the ages. So there is a God that we can know. There is a God that we can know plenty about, and people seem to get very uncomfortable with that concept. We'd rather, uh, people would rather have a God that is not knowable because if he's not knowable, then truth must be relative instead of absolute. But see, that's just more stuff that you learn in college that's wrong as well. And see, when you begin to talk with authority like that, people really begin to get uncomfortable and it really aggravates them because, and in a sense, I could see why it would aggravate folks because of all the money that's spent on a college education these days. Well, I mean, if you spend all this money, then certainly it's got to be worth something. Well, listen, my friend, if you're going to college and they're telling you that that truth is relative, it's all in how you see it, and it's all in presentation, then that's not much of an education. But a lot of this comes from the fact that people, as a general rule, are more superstitious than they are religious. You hear, you hear what I said? I said they're more superstitious than they are religious. You say, I, I don't agree with you on that. Okay, then let me ask you something. Why is there more of an attraction to TV shows like Ghost Hunters and The Walking Dead and Vampire Diaries and Harry Potter and Star Wars? Oh, that's kid stuff, man. That's, that's stuff to where adults are still playing in the sandbox, you haven't grown up and learned to put aside the Tonka trucks. Why is that stuff more appealing to you than Peter and James and John and the Apostle Paul and King David? The truth is, is that people are not very religious these days. They're superstitious. Now, they take their superstition and they label it as religion, uh, such as the case here in Acts chapter 17. Paul said, hey, I passed by an altar, and I found that altar to have this inscription, quote, to the unknown God. It's amazing the things that people enjoy to worship these days. It's amazing the things that people call religion these days. Uh, you look back in the book of John where Jesus Christ was talking to the woman that came to Jacob's well. She's a woman of Samaria, and he told her, he said, he said, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He said, ye worship, ye know not what. Well, see, that's, that's the typical mindset of most folks is that they're worshiping. There's no absence of worship in the Gentile mind. The issue is not that Gentiles don't turn away from worship. It's just that they worship vanity. They, they worship things that are vain. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it said, Paul said this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, that's lost folks, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. 
Well, that's an accurate description of lost folks. That's an accurate description of the modern Gentile mind. His mind's just been so polluted with sin and iniquity and wickedness that the lights have been turned out. And yet he hasn't stopped worshiping, but Jesus Christ pulled, pulled the Pharisees out one day and he said, he said, in vain, in vain, vanity. There's a book in the Bible called the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. And the, the title right in the, in the scriptures is called Ecclesiastes written by the preacher. And in that book, one of the main themes is vanity of vanities. Well, that's what life without Jesus Christ truly is. It's just vanity of vanities. What's the point? Everything goes in a circle. Everything runs in a cycle. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Thus saith the preacher. And that's exactly how most people look at religion. That's how most people are dealing with when they're dealing with this unknown God, this God who is an old man who sits on a throne with a long beard and holding a lightning bolt waiting to smack somebody on top of the head. Or on the other end of the extreme, he's a big kiss in the sky who wants to welcome everybody and everything with all of their iniquity and with all of their sin. I'm telling you, you've got the wrong concept of God if, you, if you've fallen to either one of those sides of the extreme. Neither one of those are, are a biblical description of, of the God that we serve. See, it's a God that people don't know. It's a God that people don't know. And so let me just get on with it and say this morning from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17 from our text, Paul said, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, he said, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Well, my soul, that goes against what's being taught in most universities and colleges today. I, I, you couldn't possibly begin to convince people that there was a God who made this earth. He made everything that you see in seven literal days. Oh, my soul, the, the ludicrousy of such a statement. But it's true. It's true, and you can scoff and you can scorn all you want to, but it's true, and you know when you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, you, you know that it's true. You know that there's a God somewhere. Listen, you can't possibly be foolish enough to think that the paintings that you have on your wall and the watches that you have sitting on your wrist and the vehicles that you're driving this morning, you couldn't possibly be foolish enough to believe that those things just materialized out of thin air by chance and yet you're going to be so foolish as to profess that this entire world and everything that you see just materialized by chance? God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything. That's my first point I want to bring out to you this morning is that the Bible says neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. People have a funny idea about God that when God saved them, if they're actually saved, and that's a big if, I, I don't know that. I don't know uh, the, all of the individuals that are listening to this broadcast this morning, but I will tell you that a lot of people take the attitude that when God saved them, oh, my soul, he certainly got a great deal. He, he may have got something, but I guarantee it wasn't a great deal. And if you feel like God got a great deal, when he saved you, it's doubtful that you're even saved. 
See, I believe a lot of folks are saying that they're saved and they just never have been born again because they haven't approached God the right way. They've approached God chewing bubblegum and hopping and skipping on their way down to the front of the church to make some profession of faith by signing a card or being dunked in a bucket of water. But that's not salvation. Salvation, the way that salvation comes is you've got to see that you're a sinner. You've got to see that you have nothing to offer God and God has everything to offer you. And if you reject that offer, you are going to die in your sins and you are going to burn for eternity in a place called hell. That's, that's the, the attitude that you're going to have to approach God. And if you're not going to approach God with some contrition, it's doubtful that you've ever even got to the Lord. Listen, you know how you're going to get a hold of God's attention. You're going to have, you're going to get a hold of God's attention by humility, by humbling yourself. You're going to have to take the attitude towards you that God takes about you. The Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 51, he said, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise my soul. That's not the way that a lot of folks are approaching God these days. The way that most folks approach God these days is with a hardened heart, with a heart filled with pride, with a heart filled with trash, with a heart filled with indignant anger. How dare some preacher point his finger in my face and tell me that I'm not worth what I think I'm worth. How dare some preacher put his finger in my face and preach all that hate speech and preach all that hate language. Oh, my soul, the, the, the absolute ignorance of a preacher insisting that way. Well, all I'm telling you, my friend, is that that's not necessarily the attitude that the important, let me back up and say this. The important thing is not that I take that attitude towards you or don't take that attitude towards you. I'm telling you that there's a God that sits on a throne that rules over this entire universe. And he takes that attitude about you until you begin to humble yourself. You know what the Bible says about a proud man? The Bible says that God resisteth the proud. He resists them. If you try to get to God and you haven't yet humbled yourself, God has his arms out stiff-armed, and he's not going to let you get anywhere near him. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. You begin to humble yourself and you begin to grovel at God's feet and you begin to take a lowly attitude. And my soul, there's grace to be found with an eternal God. There is grace to be had through our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. You can find grace, but you're not going to find grace with a hardened heart and a stiff neck. You know what you're going to do? You're going to sit right where you've always sat in the filthiness of your own mind and the degradation of your own heart. You're going to sit by yourself just the same way that you've always sat, going nowhere, spinning your wheels, and just having a hard time in life. That's the place that you're going to stay. Job chapter 22, Job chapter 22 said, Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou wilt make thy ways perfect? Let me ask you something. All of your righteousness that you think is really getting a hold of God's attention, what benefit is that really to the Lord? It might profit you. It might profit you in this life as far as giving you an easier time to live. Listen, I don't discredit the fact if you 
pay your bills, that the bill collector's not going to be chasing you down. If you pay your car payment or you pay your loans or whatever it is that you have, somebody's not going to be chasing you down trying to take out, like the book of Proverbs says, trying to take away thy bed from underneath thee. Listen, if you pay your bills, certainly there's profit in it for you. But what profit is that to God? See, you've got too high of an opinion of yourself. Verse 4 in Job chapter 22, the same passage. Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? Look at what he says in the next verse. Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? My soul. See, that's the, that's the attitude that the Lord takes about you. The Bible said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's laid on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Listen, I don't care how good you think you are this morning, but I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ came and bled and died and paid for your sins on an old rugged tree at Calvary. And that's the only way that you're going to get God's attention. You're going to get God's attention by humbling yourself and coming to God, God's way. You're going to have to come to God, God's way. Well, back in Acts chapter 17, look at what he says here. He says in verse 25, he said, Neither is worshipped with, with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeth he giveth to all life and breadth and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Let me tell you something about this God that we serve, about this God that you can know. God is a God that distinguishes. He puts a difference between things. Listen, you can read through the Bible, and God hates people that look at things that are different and call it the same. God despises people that do that. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, the Bible says, Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They put no difference between unclean and the clean. Isaiah chapter 5 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know what most Americans call that kind of conduct? Most Americans call that conduct tolerance. God calls it blasphemy. God hates it, my friend. God despises when people look at righteousness and call it wickedness. God hates it when people look at wickedness and call it righteousness. God hates it when men look at uh, women and call them men. God hates it when uh, women look at men and call them women. God, God's not going to put up with that foolishness. This country is on a, on a runaway train headed down a road for destruction. And its destruction lies in the fact that men look at black things and call them white, and they look at white things and call them black. They look at purple things and call them green, and they look at green things and call them yellow. It's because they're not in touch with a God who, who distinguishes between things. They're not in touch with a God that puts a difference between things that are right and wrong. They're not in touch with a God that looks at perversion and calls it exactly what it is. Men are now looking at perverted, perverted things and calling it right. They're calling it, they're calling it just an alternative lifestyle. They've been doing that for years, but my friend, God is never going to do that. You know what the Bible says in the book of Psalms chapter nine? It says the Lord, the Lord 
the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. I'm sure you talk to somebody about religious things, and the verse that everybody can quote is, Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Only God is my judge. I got news for you. The Bible says that the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. You know how you can know God? You can know God by looking at the things that he judges. You can look at you can know God by looking at the at the things where he puts a difference in between things. That's what judgment is. Listen, some of you folks under the sound of my voice, you got up this morning. You got up this morning and you know what you did as soon as you got up? You judged. You looked in the mirror and made a judgment call that you needed to do something about what you saw. You went out into your kitchen and you turned the oven on or you turned the stove on to cook you something to eat and you made a judgment call about the fact that that oven was hot. Well, you narrow-minded bigot, you, you judgmental person, you. I can't believe you'd be so judgmental as to do something like that. It's absurd. It's absurd to take the approach, to take the attitude that God himself is not judgmental. I was dealing with a young man not too long ago, and he said, my grandma just told me that God says to come any way that you are. And I said, yeah, I said, God, God does want you to come as you are. But I said, what you've got in your mind is that God's going to let you come as you are and leave the same way. And God's just going to take you any old way that you are. And I said, that's not true. I said, in order for God to accept you, and this is true, my friend, in order for God to accept you, you're going to have to come by Jesus Christ, and some things will change. See, that's what makes people uncomfortable about Christianity. That's what makes professing, milksop, weak baby Christians who say that they're saved, which I doubt, that's what makes them uncomfortable about Christianity. What makes them uncomfortable about Christianity is that if I say I'm saved, I still want to hold on to the things that I used to do. My friend, that's not Christianity. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, talking about the godly sorrow that worketh repentance. He said it works repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But he said the sorrow of this world worketh death. He said, for behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. See, there's a change that takes place when a man gets saved. I don't buy into this modern day religion where you get saved and you just keep on going and doing the same old things that you used to do. Where's the change? Where's the things that are supposed to be different? You used to be a fornicator and you say you got saved and you're still fornicating? Something's wrong with this picture. You say that you got saved, you used to be a thief. Now you got saved and you're still a thief? Something's wrong with that. You used to have a mouth that was filled with bitterness and cursing and blasphemy. Then you made a profession of faith and you still got that stuff going on in your life? Something's wrong with the way that you're looking at things, my friend. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You get in touch with the God that we're talking about out of Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the God that distinguishes between right and wrong. My friend, you're going to begin to put a difference. You're going to be, begin to judge between things that are correct and incorrect. Now, let me say this in closing. Let me say this. Last of all, 
The God that we're talking about here out of Acts chapter 17, he's a God that demands repentance. Now listen, you have the right, you have the right as a person. I'm not talking about Americans. I'm talking about as a person. You have the right to make up your own mind. You have a right to decide for yourself what you're going to do with Jesus Christ, the attitude that you're going to take towards God. You have that right, but you do not have the right to decide the consequences. Consequences are something that come based on the decisions that you make. And listen, my God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Holy Scriptures, he demands repentance. You say, I don't want to repent. Okay, don't repent. That's your business. But I'm telling you, you don't have the right to decide what happens after that if you turn God away. You don't have the right to decide whether or not you have peace in your heart or whether you have joy in your heart because you turned away God's demand for repentance. Let me tell you something about this message of repentance that I'm bringing to you this morning. This is the same message that Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth and preached, it's the same message that he preached. You know what he said? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When John the Baptist showed up, he said, repent. He said, repent. When Peter, James, and John came along and they started preaching, you know what their message was? It was repent. When Paul, the apostle came along, you know what his message was? It was repent. When Noah was standing out there telling the world that, hey, judgment's coming. Judgment is right down the road. God is fixing to rain a bunch of water all over this earth. It's fixing to rain like you ain't never seen before. And all the people stood around and made fun of him and said, oh, what's rain? There, it hasn't ever rained before. No water's ever come out of the sky. And lo and behold, you know what his message was? You better repent. You better repent. You know what Jeremiah, the prophet's message was? It was repentance. It was repentance. Listen, the message that a Bible-believing preacher brings today, the message that he brings is the same message that all of God's men have always been bringing. It's repentance. It's repentance. Why? You say, you say why is that the message that you bring? Because the Bible says in verse 31 in our same text, Acts chapter 17, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Listen, there's coming a day where this country is going to meet head on with judgment. There's coming a day where this world is going to meet head on with judgment. And the, the means by which God is going to judge this old wicked world is by Jesus Christ, who's been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And my friend, I've only got one question for you this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Listen, the Bible says that the secrets of men are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. You ready to meet him? You ready to go out into eternity and to have your secrets judged? You ready to go out into eternity and have your secrets judged by the same God who the Bible says in Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good? You're not ready if you haven't reached a place of repentance. The Bible said in Acts chapter 20 that Paul testified. He said, we testify both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you repented? You say, why should I repent? Because judgment's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Let me tell you something, sinner. 
Listen, let me tell you something, sir. Let me tell you something, ma'am. Please listen to me. Listen, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you're not ready. You're not ready for that day of judgment. If you've never trusted Christ, you're not ready to go out into eternity and meet with a, with a God who the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. You're not ready to meet him. If you haven't humbled your heart and met with God on God's terms through the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not ready to meet him. Why don't you bow your head this morning and call on him? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the God that we preach to you this morning. That's the, that's the God that this world doesn't want to know. That's the narrow-minded, bigoted God that this world doesn't know. But I'm telling you this morning that that's a God of mercy. That's a God of grace. The, Lord, the Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Listen, my friend, if you die this today, if you die this morning, if you die this evening before the sun goes down, if you die in your sins and go to hell, you'll go to hell against the will of God. You'll go to hell, not because God wanted you to go there. God paved the way. God made the way for you to get out of that. The Bible says that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Will you turn to him today? Have a great day. May the Lord bless you. This broadcast was brought to you by People's Baptist Church of Folkestone, Georgia. This broadcast and information for the church may be found on our website, www.pbcfolkestone.com.